Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, EncounterChurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Well, how many of you have come believing and expecting great things from God? Yeah, I believe that God is here, and I believe that God has ordained today. God has a purpose and a plan, and I do not think that it's accident or happenstance that you are here. I believe there's a reason why you are here today. So I would challenge you, open up your heart, open up your mind, and say, Lord, what do you have? Because God's word is applicable to every portion of of our lives. Right? Right. So today what we're going to do, we're going to jump into a brand new study that we're simply going to title Advancing Hope. This is our segue moment from 2020 into 2021. We're going to move from our word of the year for 2020, which was hope, into our word of the year for 2021, which is advance. We're calling the series Advancing Hope. The question is, what steps do we, the church, the people of God, what steps do we need to take to truly advance hope, the hope that God has made available to every one of us, what steps do we need to take to advance that into a hopeless society? That's what we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks. Weeks as we process through the Old Testament, an Old Testament book that that sometimes is overlooked, a, a book that sometimes is bypassed, maybe even a book that you did not even know was there. Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't even know there was an Old Testament. Well, let me explain. There's two sections of the Bible. There's the Old Testament, which is the before Jesus time. This covers creation. This covers the, you know, the, the Israelites escaping out of Egypt. This covers all of the books, the Proverbs, the Psalms, and David's life, and Elijah, and all these great prophets. And, and then the New Testament begins in Matthew, and that starts with the life of Jesus Christ and continues through the book of Acts and really the calling and the purpose of what we're doing today. But we're going to move back to the Old Testament just for a little bit. For the next seven weeks, we're going to look at a man by the name of Nehemiah. We're going to look at what Nehemiah goes through as he pins the words of this great book, simply self-titled, Nehemiah. I would encourage you, if you've never read the book of Nehemiah, man, over the next seven weeks, it's an easy read. Over the next seven weeks, get your Bible out. Read along with us. Maybe you want to read it a couple times over the next seven weeks and let God begin to stir in your heart. Now, I will say to you a little disclaimer on the front side of this series. Uh, This series is going to be a little bit more teaching than it is preaching. Um, Why? Because the book of Nehemiah really is a great leadership book. Uh, It's going to give you a lot of tools to really implement um, the Word of God and what He's called us to do and how to portray that to the world. In other words, how to advance hope 
to a hopeless society. So if you would, there'll be a few moments through this series that I've got to pause and kind of give you a little backstory, a little teaching moment. So if you'll hang with me on that, I promise you on the other side of all of this, we're going to be grateful that we've taken the time to really process the book of Nehemiah. Look at our text today, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Beginning in verse 2, it says this, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from their captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well. Let me pause there. Have you ever asked a person a question expecting them to say, do pretty good? Yeah, things, things are going well. Where truly you know on the inside things are not, but they put this mask on, they kind of give you what you think or what they think you want to hear. Amen. That might have been kind of what Nehemiah was doing with his brothers. Hey, hey, how are things going with all my people back home? He doesn't say, oh, I'm doing pretty well. No. He says, things are not good. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I, Nehemiah, heard this, I sat down and wept. It cut him to the core that his people weren't doing well. In fact, they weren't doing well at all, that things were in ruins. He goes on to say, in fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, let me give you a little backstory of what's happening in this moment, just so you can understand why Nehemiah is responding the way he is. What happened? What brought him to this place? Well, the time is approximately 444 B.C. Um, the Israelites have been in captivity for over 70 years. The Assyrians had captured Israel and the Babylonians had captured Judah. So there's problems going on. Both these empires were absolutely ruthless. They would conquer and take the Israelites out of their own lands, and they would scatter them and settle them in other lands all around the area. However, at this moment, both of these empires had been conquered by the Persians. Ezra and Nehemiah were allowed to, to go back. The problem is, in this moment, as Nehemiah is ready to go back, he's, he's sulking, he's crying out to God, he, he's mourning in this moment. The problem that's going on, the reason things are in turmoil, is the walls of the city needed to be rebuilt. They were torn down. Now, for us today, that's hard for us to wrap ourselves around. Because sometimes when you leave a city, you really aren't sure where one city ends and another city begins. Anybody ever notice that? Especially if you go closer to the city, where, where the, the city city, where you have communities that are close together. You kind of stream from one to the next and you're not really sure, am I here, am I there, where really am I? Well, in this particular day, a city would build walls around itself. Why? To protect themselves from the outside enemy. But the problem is 
the city walls had been destroyed. They were living in a heap, in, in rubble, if you would. All hope seemed lost. In fact, for quite some time, people had tried to rebuild the walls, and every time they attempted, they would fail. People around were about at the point, they were throwing up their hands and saying, it's just not worth it. Been there, seen it, tried it, had the t-shirt to prove it, nothing successful is happening. All hope is lost. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond in life when things don't go the way that you were hoping they would go? What do you do? Well, for Nehemiah, there were three particular things that he did. And we read it in our text this morning. The first thing he did, he mourned. He was heartbroken. Why? Because the people that he loved, his people, were not doing well. They were in ruins. They were struggling. They were hurting. Hopeless. So Nehemiah began to mourn. He began to express his hurt to God. Mourning takes time. You don't get over it instantly. It takes time to process through. But the good news, the Bible says that God will turn our mourning into dancing. That God will take the sorrow in the night and in the morning. He'll bring us joy. He'll renew something inside of us. So the question that I have as we're in this time of mourning, what do we, the people of God, the people that have hope, what do we do with that hope? We're going to get there in just a little bit. The second thing that Nehemiah did, he fasted. Now, if you're new to church, maybe you have no idea what fasting means. Maybe you think it means get in your car and see how fast you can go. (laughs) I upgraded my car yesterday. got another uh, used car. It's not new by any means. But I was going through all the internal settings on the car. And (laughs) there's an alarm that you can set if you want that when you get to 160 miles an hour, an alarm will go off. I looked at the salesman. I'm like, good thing it has that. <laughs> I have never been 160 miles an hour. I went on a ride along with a police officer one time, and we went 152. And that was enough. That was a, I got saved that night. It was, it, was, it was a glorious, glorious presence of God in that, in that police car that night. And by the way, I was the ride along, I wasn't in tr- I was in the front seat. <laughs> front seat of the car. It was a purposeful ride along. I was all night long. Yeah. Let's move on. He fasted. What does that mean? That means uh, he went without, oftentimes it's food. Now, nowadays you hear people, they fast social media, they'll fast TV, they'll fast something. Why do they do that? So they can have this moment to focus in on God and really hone in on what God has. But can I be honest with you? Fasting isn't so much um, about what you aren't doing as it is what you are doing. Let me say that again. Some of you need to grab a hold of this. It's not just, I'm going to skip my meal every Tuesday 
It's not so much what you aren't doing as it is what you are doing. It's not so much a matter of self-denial, like God's going to hear you better if your belly is grumbling. He hears us every moment of every day. But what fasting means is a, a change in activity that gives you a new motivation, a new perspective, and more time to focus in on God. That's where Nehemiah found himself. He started out in this morning time crying out, Lord, I don't understand. Why are my people in turmoil? Why are my people hopeless? Why are they living amongst ruin? They're the people of God. And now he says, I'm denying myself this food, not so that I'll be hungry, not as a weight loss program, but I'm doing this so that I can really change my perspective. I'm motivated to focus in on the things of God and to learn more from him. Number three, the third thing he did, he prayed. He mourned, he fasted. Then he asked God for help. And if you missed this week of prayer, every night this week we gathered together right here in this room and every night was unique to itself. It wasn't like, well, Monday night was the same as Tuesday night, which is close to Wednesday night. No, 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 no. Every night God did something miraculous. It was absolutely incredible. But I want to read to you, um, Nehemiah, what happened and what he penned here in his prayer. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed that the God of heaven prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, here's his prayer, listen carefully. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenants. Now hold on to that beginning portion. We're going to come back to what that means in just a moment. Keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see my praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that I have sinned against you. We have sinned terribly but not, by not obeying the commands, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. All three of these processes are communicating with God. Taking that time to mourn, that's the moment of dependence upon him. Realizing that you can't do it on your own, that you need him. 
fasting, setting yourself in a new perspective, a new focus, a new motivation, focusing in on God. And finally, prayer saying, Lord, would you hear my cries today? I wrote here, prayer is the key. If you don't have a life of prayer, if you haven't made prayer a lifestyle, I want to challenge you. Begin to make that change. Prayer is more than now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's more than rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. But it's, Lord, would you hear me? Would you see me? God, would you know my heart? God, I lay it all before you. It's walking in step with him. So for the next few moments this morning, we're going to take some time. We're going to look at Nehemiah's prayer. In fact, we're going to look at four specific elements of this prayer. Number one is this. According to Nehemiah's prayer, we are to base our request on God's character. When you're in a time of prayer, you base your request on God's character. Look what Nehemiah said. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayers. Now all through the Bible, we we are told, we are reminded time and time again that we should Begin our prayer with this critical element. What is that element? Acknowledging God for who he is. It's saying to him, I'm expecting you, I'm believing that you will answer this prayer, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Jesus said, pray this way, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you are awesome in this place. Lord, you are a mighty God. There's nothing that you cannot do. So Lord, right now, would you hear my heart's cry? Three things about God's character that Nehemiah prayed. Number one, he said, you are great. What does that mean? You are great. That's God's position. There is none greater than he. He is the almighty, the one, the only. It's not this God over here or that God over there or choose your own adventure God or whatever sounds good to you or whatever place you want to stand in. No, 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 no. There's only one true God. And great and mighty is he. The second, you are awesome That shows his power. He's an all-powerful God. Nothing is out of his ability. Nothing is out of his control. He can do all things. The Bible says his ways are far beyond our ways. His thoughts don't compare to our thoughts. They're far beyond our thoughts. God can meet you where you are today. He is great. He is awesome. Number three, you keep your covenant. What is that? That means that's God's promise. I'm here to tell you today, if God said it, God will do it. 
Every promise in his book we can grab a hold of. Every promise that he stated for us we can grab a hold of. You confess your sins. He's faithful. He will forgive you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will never walk away from you. He is always there with you and for you. By his stripes, you are healed. Promise after promise is true and will come to pass. He's returning one day. The question is, are you ready? Here's what I want you to understand about the success of this kind of prayer. See, Nehemiah kicked this prayer off by saying, Lord, you are great. God, you are awesome. You keep your promises. You keep your covenant. Here's what I want you to grab a hold of. James 5, 16. The earnest prayers of a righteous person. Let me pause there. I don't know about you, but I don't feel righteous sometimes. Sometimes life kicks us when we're down. But the cool thing is, we're not righteous in our own ability. See, there's no way that I can ever reach a righteousness stance, a righteous stance. I'm always, as a person, I'm always going to fall short. Why? Because we mess up. Anybody in the room ever mess up? Half of you. Yeah, the other half just did. There's a prayer service at the end, and we'll pray for you then. No, every one of us messes up. Every one of us falters. And because of that, we can't reach this standard. In fact, the Bible says we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So how, how can we be a righteous person? Is there even any hope in this prayer life for us? Absolutely. But because of Jesus Christ, we are placed in right standing before the Father. We have seen through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No longer are we seen as who we are, but we are seen as who we are through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the righteous prayer has great power and produces, say it with me, wonderful results. Can you read that entire scripture with me this morning? The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What does this verse tell us? It tells us that effective prayer is a byproduct of a real relationship with God. Let me say that again. Some of you need to write that down this morning. Effective prayer is a byproduct. In other words, it comes about because of a real relationship with God. Let me just say this. God is not a magic genie in the bottle. It's not, well, life stinks right now. Things really aren't going well right now. Let me grab my Bible, rub it three times, and maybe Jesus will pop out. We laugh, but isn't that really what happens? You see, when things are going well, we kind of put it off to the side. We put God off to the side, and oh, we'll come to church because... That's what we do. But we find ourselves pushing him 
to the side and just go into the routines. But if you notice here, it said effective prayer is a byproduct of a real what? Relationship. It's not a byproduct of going through the routines. It's not a byproduct of punching the spiritual time card. It's not a byproduct of showing up so many times you can get a free prayer. But of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Again, this doesn't set us up for a magic genie in the bottle. Lord, I pray for a million dollars. Is that what we're talking about here? See, when we've got that real relationship, then our heart comes in sync with his heart. Our desires come in line with his desires. So therefore, the things that we're longing for, the things that we're crying out for, are things that are, are the will of the Father. The byproduct of a lifestyle of prayer is all wrapped around this relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's my question. Are you pursuing God in your daily life? Is there a place in your life, this spiritual wall, this prayer wall in your life that needs to be rebuilt like the wall that, that Nehemiah set out to rebuild? Is there a hope that needs to be advanced? See, in Nehemiah's prayer, he based it, his request upon God's character. The second element is this. Confess the sin in your life. Nehemiah said in verse 6 and 7, Look down and see my praying day and night, the praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. I said it a moment ago, if we confess our sin, the Bible said he's faithful He's just. He will forgive us of all the sin, all the wrong. He'll cleanse us of anything that separates us from him. Nehemiah goes on to say, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the command, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Again, the Jews had disobeyed God. And as a result, God said to them, all right, if you don't obey me, you're going to lose your homeland. You're going to lose Israel. And because they did not obey God, they lost their city. They lost Jerusalem. They were taken in captivity. Disobedience, listen carefully, disobedience comes at a cost. Well, that's hard to say amen to, isn't it? Because you know what amen means, right? It means so be it. So be it. Obedience comes, disobedience comes at a cost. How many people do you know, and maybe this is you personally, that in a spiritual sense, you've been taken captive in a foreign land? You've been displaced. 
from where God wants you to be. Think about it for a moment. We understand why Nehemiah confessed his own sins, but why does he go to the extent of confessing the sin of the nation? In verse 5 he says, God keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him. Nehemiah said, I've messed up. My family has messed up. We faltered. We failed. Why did he cry out for those around him? Because it's so easy for us to become self-absorbed. It's so easy for us to look out for self. So why was Nehemiah different? You see, when you have a true love for God, your love for mankind is going to grow. It's true. When you truly love God with all that you are, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we've talked about this a lot as a church, then it's so much easier to love those around you. Why? Because your will, your desires, your longings come in line with God. As God loves people, which we know he does, right? Right? How do we know that? For God so loved the world. Does that mean he loves the physical, the rocks, the mountains? He's an outdoorsman. Well, maybe. But what he's meaning is, I love the people. He desires that none would perish, but all would come to the place and the point of repentance to him. When you love God, your love for mankind will expand. That's why our mission starts with love. Love, reach, empower. We must, as a people, reach beyond these four walls to advance hope to a hopeless world. There's a critical element here in Nehemiah's prayer that's part of, the, part of what I want to grab a hold of. It's part of the bigger picture of advancing hope that God would have for a hopeless and a disobedient people. And here's what it is. Our lives must be part of that bigger picture. As a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we must offer ourselves to be part of this bigger picture, this restoration picture, this advancing hope picture that God wants to accomplish in the lives of those outside of these walls. See, if we expect God to answer our prayer, listen carefully. If we expect God to answer our prayer, we must be willing to be part of the solution. We must be willing to be an avenue in which that prayer becomes action and moves forward for those around us. We talked about it last week. If we want to see God move, it's a great quote by Mark Batterson. If we want to see God move, begin to move. If we want to God see, see God begin to do something, begin to do something for his kingdom. Element number three, declare the promises of God. Declare the promises 
of God. Verse 8 and 9, please remember what you told your servant Moses. Here, here Nehemiah is. He's taking a moment to remind God of what he said. Have you ever done that? Absolutely. Lord, your word tells us that. Lord, you promise in your word that. And here Nehemiah is. He said, God, I'm reminding you of what you told Moses. God, I'm reminding you in this moment of the promises that you set in order for us. You said this. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But, but, don't you love when God butts in? I love that. You told us, man, if we mess up, if we fall short, then this is going to happen. But if you return, if we return to you, oh God, and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, even if you are cast out, even if you are separated for a season, even if you are taken out of the land where you're called to be, come on, I will bring you back. To the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Nehemiah is saying, God, do you remember? God, you told us, you warned us that if we're obedient, if we're unfaithful, we'd lose our land. But Lord, you followed that by promising that if we will come back to you, if we will repent and return to you, God, that you would see us where we are. You would move us back into that land that you've called us to be in. All through the Bible, we see people reminding God, David did it, Abraham did it, Moses, all the prophets did it. God, I want you to remember what you promised. They were taking the time to declare God's promises. Why? Why would we declare God's promises? Because declaring the promises of God transforms them into, are you ready for this? Action. Declaring the promises of God moves it from words on a page to reality and action in life. See, effective prayer is taking God at his word. Either I believe him or I don't. Either, either this is truth or it's not. I don't know about you, but I believe. I believe in God's word. I believe the promises that he declares. So therefore, if I believe that the words in this Bible are true, then I can stand upon this. I am guaranteed. I know that it will come to pass. Effective prayer is taking God at his word, saying, Lord, I believe that I believe that I believe. I said this was going to be more teaching than preaching, didn't I? <laughs> Point number four. Man, you can't, I can't help but get excited about God's Word. Right? I can't help but get excited about the truth of God's Word. We've got to declare it. 
We've got to base our request on God's character of who he is. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. We've got to confess our sins. We've got to get ourselves in right standing with the Father. We've got to declare his promises to stand upon his word. And finally, number four, be specific in what you ask. I can't tell you how many times I'll have somebody walk up and say, Pastor, can you pray with me? They begin to tell me a whole story, and in my mind, I'm hearing all of these possible ways to pray. So oftentimes, I'll look at them, I'll say this, how exactly do you want me to pray? Right? I mean, if we want God to move, why not be specific? Here in verse 10 and 11, he says this, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. Nehemiah goes through every one of these elements to end with this simple little request. Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, give me favor before the king. See, here's what I've discovered about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was willing to be part of the answer to his own prayer. He didn't just say, Lord, my people are in shambles. Would just somehow rebuild the wall. He didn't wait for somebody else to go out and begin building the wall. He didn't pray that it would just magically happen overnight. They wake up in the morning and the wall's built and the gates are restored and everything is awesome. He says, would you hear my prayer? Would you give me favor before the king? Now, Nehemiah had to get approval from the king. And the king was definitely not a believer. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. He was the, the right-hand man, if you would, to the king. So you just don't let your right-hand guy go real easy. Nehemiah could have gone to the king and, and said, hey, I, I want to go. I want to rebuild the wall. And by the way, the king hadn't give, given permission to rebuild a wall. The king could have said, you know what? I don't even like your request. Guards, take him away. Throw him in prison. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could have happened to Nehemiah. But Nehemiah cried out to God, would you hear my cry? Lord, I I need to go away. It's going to take a period of about three years. Would you help me? Would you go before me? Would you lead the way? There's something noteworthy here that we need to grab a hold of. Nehemiah had proven himself to the king. Come on, look at this. Nehemiah was willing to be part of the answer to the solution to his own prayer. And I believe that that this all started. This all started quite some time before. 
God knew that Nehemiah was going to need favor before the king. So in this time, coming up to this request and this prayer, Nehemiah was serving faithfully to the king. Again, he was the right-hand man. He was the cupbearer. Verse 1 of chapter 2, which we're going to go more into next week, says, earlier, early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I, I was faithful in my servant. There's something to be said about serving faithfully in the place where God has planted you. There's something to be said. Does that mean that it's always going to be easy? That serving God's always going to be a, a run through the roses? No. Sometimes it's going to be tough. Sometimes we're going to get scratched by the thorns. Sometimes there's going to be difficulty along the way. But there's something to be said about serving faithfully where God has planted you. God could open the king's heart. Why? Because Nehemiah had sown the seed of service. He had sown the seed of loyalty, of dependability to the king. So I wonder, are we ready are we the church? Are we the people of God? Are we individually, are we ready in this season of hopelessness to begin to advance hope, to begin to be sincere in our prayers to God? Would you bow your heads with God, we call out to you right now. Lord, I ask that you will speak into our hearts. Lord, that you will speak into our lives. Would you help us to lead the way? Lord, if we aren't in right standing, help us to get there. If we need to rebuild some things in our lives would help us to start there. But Lord, once we've rebuilt on the inside, would help us to go to make an impact for you. Church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, a couple very simple questions. Number one is this. You're here and you say, Pastor, I, I'm not in right standing with God. I don't have him in my life. I haven't asked him to come in to be my Lord and Savior. But today I want to do that. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you let me pray with you today? All across the house. If that's you online, message in. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you today as well. All across the house. Number two. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I need help on these, these four elements. 
I'm not sure that I'm quite where I need to be in these. But I see the need. I see the necessity. And today I make myself available to God. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Yes. 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 Would you stand with me all across the house? I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come and line the fronts. In just a moment, the worship team is going to begin to lead us in prayer. If you raised your hand this morning or if you have a need of any sort, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. There's about three or so, three or four of you that raised your hand this morning. If God's speaking into your heart, I'm going to ask you, as the worship team begins to lead, if you will leave your seat, find one of our prayer partners. Let us pray with you today. Here we go.